Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between. And welcome to Evris, the podcast where I talk about everything European politics. I'm your host, Natalie. Each episode, I take a topic in Europe that I think you should care about and break it down into small little bite-sized pieces our anxiety-ridden millennial minds can actually digest. In this episode, I delved into the complexities of Europe's so-called frozen conflict on its easternmost borders, the partition of my country, Cyprus, and how it might be linked to a long history of political corruption. I spoke to two local peace activists and political analysts, Andra Magisovakleus and Kemal Beykali, about how political corruption perpetuates the long-lasting partition and causes societal stagnation on the tiny island. In October 2020, the Middle Eastern news outlet Al Jazeera published a bombshell video revealing an undercover investigation on the island of Cyprus. The report, dubbed the Cyprus Papers, revealed that the island's citizenship for investment scheme had allowed criminals to obtain Cypriot and therefore EU passports. Some high-profile figures including the then president of the Cypriot parliament, Dimitris Tilduris, were found to be implicated in the scandal. The EU was understandably furious. Criminals were now free to roam the block and even had citizenship for that matter. They demanded that the Republic of Cyprus immediately halt their citizenship for investment scheme, which of course they did. Now that was probably the first time Cypriot corruption had made it to the forefront of the global stage. But the issue of corruption has long been an open secret on the island. And many experts are saying that the division of Cyprus not only allows, but even exasperates the problem. But what is the link between the two? And could a potential solution to the long-lasting dispute mean better transparency in Cypriot politics? I spoke to Andra Magisovakleus and Kemal Bekali to get their view on the matter. Now, before we get into it, I'll be giving a small introduction to the political situation for those out there who might not be familiar with the history of the conflict and also give you a little bit of an overview of where we are today. So here it goes. Cyprus has been partitioned since 1974 after a failed attempt of a coup d'etat by the then fascist military dictatorship in Greece working in tandem with local sympathizers of the Cypriot National Guard. What followed was an invasion by Turkish military forces, who then occupied 37% of the north of the island, to which Turkish Cypriots then fled. Greek Cypriots, on the other hand, fled to the south. Almost five decades later, the island is still split into two. The Republic of Cyprus, which is situated in the south, and is run by a Greek Cypriot government, and then the TRNC, or the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, which is an internationally unrecognized de facto state under Turkish military occupation. Now, despite numerous attempts by the United Nations and other big global players like the United Kingdom, the United States, the European Union, the issue is still yet to be solved. Obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be here today. And this problem has been such a headache for diplomats that it's even been dubbed the diplomat's graveyard, just because it's, it's just helpless. 
All right, and now that you've got the lowdown on the Cypriot issue, we can jump straight into the episode, into my interview with Andranaki and Kemal. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you on the other side. Yeah, thank you too so much for joining me. I have Andra Mahisofakleus and Kemal Bekali today, uh, who are both political analysts and activists at the forefront of the Unite Cyprus Now movement, which is a grassroots political movement for bicommunal peace in Cyprus. Um, they're also the hosts of the podcast Nicosia Uncut which is a show which aims to undo the mainstream narrative on Cypriot politics by presenting, as they put it, the cold hard truth. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll be including a link to their podcast in these episodes. Notes, make sure to check it out. It's a very, very well done podcast. This was the best summary ever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you like that. Um, but yeah, I would really like to start by um, having you both just introduce yourselves uh, a little bit and tell me what is Unite Cyprus now? Um, when did it start? What do you guys do? Um, one of our friends who happened to be an, uh, an activist and, and a journalist, uh, a notable journalist in Cyprus, Esra Eigen, one day she really got fed up with how things were not going well with the talk. So she posted something on uh, her Facebook account. And she says that she, she made a fake news saying that, you know, there are 1000s of people on both sides of the white protesting the division. And then she said, not this is not the case. And this is what I should be writing. And then she became critical. And she said, um, we deserve worse. This is what we deserve, because we are not really going on the streets for the division of our country. And then people responded. And the next day there was a protest in the buffer zone. And since then, uh, United Cyprus now is uh, on the streets, on social media, in our lives, trying to give the message of unification. That's for sure it's self-definition, it's in the name, but also our main mission is to connect Cypriots. We believe that up until the failure in Crown Montana, what we were doing basically, we were trying to convince the leaders to come to a deal because there was an, a good ground and it was possible, it was very close to come to a deal. And then after the failure in Crown Montana, when things collapsed, we've decided to reshape and reorient United Cyprus rather than pushing the leaders to agree for a solution, we've decided to work on to connect Cypriots through various means, through the dialogue groups, through talking to each other, through, you know, doing joint projects, um, street activism, um, mutual understanding, talking about and healing each other's wounds. So these are the things that we are trying to, to promote the idea that we should be um, we should be holding each other's hands, we should be talking to each other, and we should be building a common future for our country. You two are with me today to discuss how um, corruption in Cypriot politics is intertwined with the division. This is actually a point that you two both come back to uh, on your podcast on Nikasi Uncut, right? It, it, it comes up very frequently. Could you explain to me how corruption as a result of the division manifests in Cypriot politics today? Maybe you both can give me 
um, your point of view as a, as a member of your respective communities? In order for us to understand this, uh, one must have a clear understanding of the history of Cyprus. So the Republic of Cyprus was created as a bicommunal um, uh, state in 1960. And uh, the checks and balances that are needed for any constitution and for any constitutional um, model to work uh, in the 1960s constitution were based on the bicommunality of the, of the constitution. So this meant that you had a, a Greek Cypriot uh, uh, president and a Turkish Cypriot vice president. And these sort of, uh, of uh, checks and balances existed at all levels of, uh, of power, both in the executive as well as in the judiciary, as well as uh, in the legislative. The, the Republic of Cyprus constitution uh, broke down, though, three years after uh, the creation of the Republic. And uh, for reasons that we are not going to get into now, the Turkish Cypriots withdrew uh, from the Republic of Cyprus. So th since 1964, the Republic of Cyprus is de facto under a state of emergency, which means that uh, it, it functions without the Turkish Cypriot component in its structures. Uh, this has led to a total absence of checks and balances. So basically, currently, the Republic of Cyprus president is all-powerful because the, the checking element, uh, according to the Constitution, which was the Turkish Cypriot vice president, is no longer there. So, so this is the one aspect uh, in which you can see that, uh, you know, any... Our constitution is basically more or less non-functional. At the same time, though, uh, especially since we've been under this situation since 1964, we are now at a situation in which uh, so many things that happen in the Cypriot polit in the Greek Cypriot political sphere uh, that are related to corruption are sort of excused because of the division. <laughs> so uh, on the one hand, our political discourse is heavily limited because it centers on the Cyprus problem. Uh, and we cannot discuss anything basically that will allow our society to uh, progress because we keep on discussing the Cyprus problem uh, that keeps us really uh, behind. But at the same time, our politicians use the Cyprus problem as an excuse for the various uh, corrupt practices. Uh, for instance, uh, when it comes to environmental principles on the island, uh, the, the island has a very big percentage of areas that are considered natura, which means that special protection status uh, should exist in those areas. However, because, uh, as you understand, the building um, and the development uh, uh, industry, the developing industry is very uh, powerful in Cyprus, uh, the Cyprus problem has been used as an excuse in order to develop areas that are even considered Nadura, uh, because the excuse is that, you know, we have 37% of the island in which we do not exercise effective control. Uh, we have a percentage of the island that is uh, under the British, sovereign British areas. So we need to develop <laughs> uh, and build on, on, a, on some land uh, in the areas in which the Republic of Cyprus uh, uh, exercises effective control. And therefore, 
we are going to disregard the Nadura uh, status. So you see, this is only one example in which the, the, the division is, is used as an excuse to propagate uh, and to um, enhance uh, corruption on the island. Well, in, in the broader context, I think the job of the politics is to secure the security, welfare, well-being, sustainability of the people. And politics needs to be addressing um, from different aspects how the resources will be used to secure uh, the, the, these, these aims, right? But if you keep having the Cyprus problem constantly dominating the life of the politics and life of the people, then first of all, the discussion will focus on this fake, um, this unnatural um, area rather than the real aspects that needs to be tackling when it comes to the people's lives, right? And of course, Cyprus problem creates a very fertile ground for uh, mediocre politicians to use um, narratives that will be accepted by masses uh, because of the fear created by the, the, the mutual fear cre created by, uh, by the, the Cyprus problem, then it's easier to uh, basically manipulate uh, the, the real uh, necessities. This is, I think, a general framework. A few days ago, there was this talk of one of the, uh, one of the Turkish Cypriot um, military air bases to be used as a, as a center for Turkey to use as a, an operation center in the region meaning that um, division will not secure the safety of the Cypriots. It's a fallacy. It's a blatant lie. It is so open and clear. And the other thing that I want to give as an example, just today, while we're recording this podcast, there has been um, a, one of the Turkish mafia leaders escaped country and started to talk about the last 20 years of the Turkish deep state, right? And then he explained how Northern Cyprus became the back garden of Turkish deep state and how a famous Turkish journalist was killed, how they were using North Cyprus as a base, as a center of operations of um, money laundering through various means. So it is not only a problem for Cyprus, but this is also a problem for the region, for the international community this is a black hole it's a spot where things can be done because there is no recognition and then so so basically cyprus problem continues to become a source of instability corruption money laundering any kind of dirty things that, that can come to your mind you know you can you can link to it and then i find it very difficult how people cannot see it and can I just make a final point on the issue, especially regarding the Republic of Cyprus? I think that for years we were uh, people uh, were unable to see this, as Kemal uh, put it. However, especially after the uh, Al Jazeera revelations on the Cyprus Papers and all and on all the talk that has been taking place regarding passports and how the citizenship by investment scheme has been used uh, in the Republic of Cyprus, I believe that a greater percentage of the population has been waking up to the fact that, uh, you know, suddenly it is not only Turkey to blame, as the uh, story often goes in the Republic of Cyprus about the lack of a solution to the Cyprus problem, but there is also an issue when it comes to the 
Greek Cypriot politics as well. And we saw for the first time people going to the streets to protest against corruption. And it was the first time that these people who were protesting, they themselves held banners making this link between corruption and partition. And for us, that was a very uh, important point in the recent uh, history of Cyprus. Um, Andromachi, in 2018, you gave this speech at an OPEC event. It was actually a very beautiful speech. Also going to include a link to that um, in the episode's notes. Um, but yes, the speech was regarding the Cypriot issue, of course, and in that speech, you called on the audience to ask who benefits from the division and who loses. Do you have an answer to that question? Yes, I think it's clear. I believe that it is the Cypriot public that loses, and those who benefit are the people that have been using this um, state of affairs, this irregular state of affairs, either to promote their partitionist policies or to benefit um, uh, economically from this uh, partition. And uh, I believe that for many years we've been fed with the poison of, uh, of division, with the poison of partition, and with the poison of, of, of the enmity that supposedly lies between the Greek Cypriots and Turkish Cypriots on the island in order to... Um, uh, in order for us not to see what really happens uh, when it comes to our politics. And uh, uh, there is this great disillusionment by the, especially the Greek Cypriot when it comes to their politicians and to the political elite. And I believe that we need to stand uh, opposite them with a critical eye and to stop uh, accepting their uh, their excuses. And thank you for bringing that speech up. I, I, I never expected that speech to be that successful when it comes to the uh, impact that it had. But honestly, my greatest disappointment regarding uh, that speech is that it was done in 2018. And we are now three years after that. And things have not changed. I, I, I could make that same speech today, or I could be repeating those same points today, because I honestly feel that we are still kept captive uh, of, of, of this uh, rocked political elite, of this corrupt political elite that feeds people with uh, hatred about the other in order for us not to see who really benefits from this situation. And it is this corrupt political system that has, um, that has perpetuated their existence in politics because of the existence of the Cyprus problem. And this is something that as United Cyprus now we try to often emphasize is that the Cyprus problem is influencing every single aspect of our lives, whether we understand it or not. Our the the communicate the, the the problem when it comes to the public transport on the island, the, the 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 traffic issues on the island, the corruption, the environmental the environmental issues that exist on the island, uh, things that have to do with, with the freedoms in general. All these are constrained because of our inability to uh, act as a united um, island and as a united state. Even, even our capacity to be a more, um, a, a more constructive voice within the European Union is also compromised by this uh, political problem. And at the end of the day, 
the people of Cyprus do not hate each other. <laughs> this is an artificial sort of hatred that is propagated by our political elite, but we need to uh, really make our uh, politicians account accountable when it comes to um, the situation on the island. But would you say that uh, not only does the division perhaps enable corruption, but also enables corrupted politicians to maybe even stay in power and keep their place of power? Of course, because since 1964, the, the, with the exception maybe of the 2013 elections in the Republic of Cyprus, all political uh, election processes were basically determined by the Cyprus problem. We, we had European Parliament elections in 2019, and the, the, the parties, the political parties, instead of discussing issues that have to do with a greater vision about the European Union, they were discussing the Cyprus problem. It is like it is the opium of the people <laughs> in, in Cyprus. And you have politicians that have absolutely nothing to offer when it comes to their uh, suggestions about uh, the political system on the island, about their vision when it comes to Cyprus, about how our future in Cyprus will be. And we have their, their existence perpetuated because they keep on uh, repeating issues that have to do with the, with the Cyprus problem. And because at the end of the day, the political processes are determined by positions. Uh, on the Cyprus problem. And let me be clear on this. I honestly believe that there is a, a, a different generation on the island that is now waking up to this manipulation. It is now waking up being sick and tired of, uh, of, of politicians using the Cyprus problem. We need to discuss other issues. We need to see how to improve our life on the island. We need to see how to make this sustainable uh, a sustainable island uh, with a, a, a green island, uh, looking to the future rather than looking to the past. And we've got all aspects uh, of our lives uh, being held hostage because of this problem. And we are sick and tired of this. And I honestly believe that there is a younger generation that is uh, th that no longer tolerates this. I think there is also an elephant in the room that we need to talk about, and this is Turkey. Mm -hmm. Whenever you um, have Turkey as a part of the problem, then it is easy, it is very easy to um, hide other issues. And when you are having, uh, especially uh, the current Erdogan government being very aggressive and um, um, trying to... Um, exert influence in the region in various ways, then it is easy for the politicians to go to the people and say, look, what can we do? There's Turkey, there's Erdogan, there is no way, you know, that, that, that peace can come with, with him in power. But we also need to remember, Cyprus problem did not start in 2012 when he came into power. Cyprus problem have been on, uh, has been on the agenda in the last 50 years. And how many opportunities have we missed? So these are the, the, the questions that we need to ask. And this also gives us the answer how mediocre politicians can find a fertile ground, um, not helping us to ask the right questions. And when, it, when we are talking about the Cyprus problem becoming related on all aspects of life, I'll, I'll just give another example. Who says that the family violence is irrelevant 
with the violence being justified in the history of Cyprus and has not been tackled. And all those perpetrators that committed crimes before uh, in 60s and 70s have, have gone away with it. And then, you know, the, the violence have been internalized and then now we are actually um, maybe also internalized in, in, in our social tissues. So everything, I mean, there is no way we can create open-minded uh, progressive citizens when we are um, brainwashing the children with the stories, uh, I'm not even saying his stories, with the stories of the past. So uh, I'm not even talking about whether it should be a federal solution, whether it should be a solution. I'm talking about how can we become a, a progressive community, a community with, with decent uh, modern uh, values. And, and how can we not see the link of it with the Cyprus problem? So in a way, the, the division sort of not only perpetuates a political stagnation, but also societal stagnation. Mm -hmm. Yes, because we are not able to bring these discussions to the fore. And we are not even united when bringing these discussions to the fore. We are only now seeing uh, slowly organizations, for instance, environmental organizations joining together to, um, uh, and they are interested for all environmental um, violations from every part of the island. We are only now seeing LGBTQI organizations coming together and seeking for uh, LGBTQI rights to be accepted and acknowledged in all uh, the area of our island. Because aside from everything that we've discussed about, it makes one wonder how one can feel okay with um, with fighting for causes that only fall under the area in which, um, for instance, the Republic of Cyprus exercises effective control, and we turn a blind eye when it comes to everything that happens to the rest of our island. These are questions that we need to be united in order to tackle, and, uh, and corruption, and, and this division is also impacting our capacity to uh, bring about social change on the island. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, my next question is more directed towards Kemal. Um, you are a member of the Turkish Cypriot community. You also are based in uh, Northern Nicosia. Um, so the Republic of Cyprus is an internationally recognized state. It's also a, a European Union state. The Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus is not. Does this affect everyday life of Turkish Cypriots in any way? And does a lack of, of a solution only make lives worse for uh, Turkish Cypriots, more difficult even? Of course. I mean, especially in the world which is now more globalized, imagine you are living in the North and you want to buy something on Amazon. You need to choose a country. Which country are you going to use? choose? Where will the book will go? Will it go to South? Will you be able to have the access to take it? What if you want to set up a company, but then your uh, your bank's, um, let's say, uh, SWIFT uh, number is, uh, the, the system is, is not registered or, or goes through Turkey? What if, if you, you want to use PayPal, but then PayPal is, is, is banned in Turkey somehow, and then how it's going to affect your life? And the problem is that 
in the past, maybe it was more sustainable because what you could provide was safety, some economy, some life, and then it, that was okay. But especially in the globalized world, how are you going to sustain a future for your for your community when you are cutting the links with your community with the rest of the world? Of course, everybody uses internet. And of course, there are alternative ways to bypass those things. But each and every time you're trying to create a patch to, um, a, 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 let's say, um, a, a problem, then you, you are with lots of patches and then you're becoming like a shanty town in, in, a, in a established city. It's, it's like that you, you do not exist in reality. Like each and every Turkish Cypriot, I think they have like three, four passports. And I'll tell you why. We have the Turkish Cypriot passport, which is not recognized by anybody except by Turkey and except uh, in the past some countries as a travel document. And uh, since 1974, Turkey provides passports to the Turkish Cypriots to travel in return, you know, whenever they show their um, TRNC passport. But it doesn't make them uh, Turkish citizens. It's just a travel document. It makes two. And then uh, many Turkish Cypriots crossed over and then claimed their Republic of Cyprus passports after 2003 when crossing started. So if you have too many passports, it sounds like, oh, it's very nice. You can use either of it. But in reality, it means that you don't belong anywhere. And to answer your question, um, an unrecognized um, country is a pain in the neck um, in the sense that it is making Turkish Cypriots more vulnerable to Turkey. So I know that there is this reflex by the Republic of Cyprus uh, authorities to make sure that nothing will any action in the international scene should not be um, directly or indirectly meaning that somebody is recognizing TRNC. But eventually what happens is this: we are becoming more vulnerable economically, politically to Turkey. And uh, eventually Turkey is, is having even a more upper hand in on the northern part of our common country. So, um, you know, this is not helping either in reality. Okay, it will help you to isolate the Turkish Cypriots. And, um, and eventually, uh, there is also this double standards. Turkey says that it does not recognize the Rec um, Republic of Cyprus. And, uh, but in the international competitions, uh, we don't have any TRNC uh, flag going on. I mean, forget the flag. We don't have Turkish Cypriots uh, competing. You have, we have the, the Greek Cypriots competing on behalf of Republic of Cyprus. We have Turkey. They can compete with each other. Sometimes somebody comes first, the other one comes third. And the Turkish Cypriots are watching it from the TV. Very good. Well done. We're the, you know, recognized by Turkey. We are happy. We are saved by Turkey. So what? And then, well, Greek Cypriots can say, well, you know, okay, fine. Um, you know, you have to find the solution to the Cyprus problem. And then, again, it doesn't solve that uh, maybe the flag, Republic of Cyprus flag has the map of Cyprus. Will it be truly representative with it, how things are going if you are having the Cyprus flag on this, uh, on, 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 the, on the flag, the Cyprus map on this flag? Are we going to have, um, let's say the entire country um, as, are we going to be a peninsula? Are we going to be two states? I don't think that it's, it is a possibility. We are not going to be two states. It's going to be the depending of the division and it's going to be worse for everybody. Since 1974 or 1964, I mean, both the Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriot communities and their respective representatives have more or less pursued this idea of a federal solution as a framework for reunification. 
the tide kind of seems to be turning, especially since uh, November last year, with the election of uh, the Turkish Cypriot president, Ersin Tatar, who is now openly pursuing a two-state solution with the blessing of the Turkish president, Erdogan, which, by the way, this would entail the island splitting into two independent sovereign states. So the island would now be two separate countries. How do you two perceive this development? Do you still think a federal one-state solution is a plausible solution for Cyprus? Do you think that we're changing course completely? Well, first of all, I believe that uh, anyone who promises a two-state solution uh, in a setting in which there's going to be two internationally recognized states is simply fooling uh, the audience. I don't believe that this is feasible. Uh, especially, definitely not to states within the European Union, because this is something that the Turkish Cypriot uh, uh, audience needs to understand. This will never be accepted for a number of reasons, but even international recognition outside the EU would be very difficult. I mean, maybe we can talk about the few countries recognizing the TRNC, but still it's never going to reach a limit in um, as a state in which the, the, the TRNC will be able to function as an as a internationally recognized state to a grand uh, extent. So on the one hand, we are at this situation in which, uh, uh, yes, we are moving away from a federal solution for a number of reasons. I mean, on the one hand, you've got the Turkish Cypriot leader and Turkey openly stating that they are supporting a two-state solution at the moment. On the other hand, you also have the Republic of Cyprus president, the Greek Cypriot leader, Mr. Anastasiadis, whose commitment to a federal solution, solution is also... Uh, Questionable at best. Exactly, questionable at best. We are at the stage in which the federal solution looks impossible at the moment. But any other solution is also impossible. I mean, for Turkey to annex the North, it would mean a decision by Turkey that it breaks all relations with the West and with the European Union. So um, I think that it's not so easy for Turkey to do that. Uh, a two-state solution is not um, possible for the reasons I already mentioned. So we're basically left in a situation in which what we will have at best is a perpetration of the status quo, a status quo that will be increasingly unsustainable and the status quo that will be increasingly problematic because uh, we are not talking about the frozen conflict here, we are talking about a situation in which things on the ground keep changing. Um, we are talking about the situation in which hatred between the sides, if it increases, it will, we will start uh, witnessing the consequences of this on the ground. Uh, so we are basically left in a situation in which, even though politically it is very difficult for us to hope for a federal solution, at the same time, when we look at our future, what lies ahead is only a, a, an increasingly unsustainable, dangerous and precarious status quo. So this is something that all people on the island need to grasp. The current leader of the um, Turkey Cypriots, Mr. Tatar, has no idea about the Cyprus problem. He just knows the slogans, you know, he just uh, repeats the all known, you know, old uh, Deng Tai style 
slogans and I don't want to be uh, giving a wrong impression. Mr. Tengtash, like him or not, was an intelligent, clever man. And uh, so I wouldn't like to compare this, him, you know, these two. Um, but um, I, I think we need to remember a few things when we're seeing this change in the Turkish Cypriot community. First of all, Mr. Tatar won the elections with um, 2% difference in the in the second round and um, and in the conditions when turkey has been had been fully engaged and um, so when we are talking about fully engaged we also have to remember the elections took place at a time that all of our economic sectors were at halt no tourism no higher education there were no guarantee that there will be uh, some kind of a um, virus support, a pandemic support from anywhere in the world, except from Turkey. And there is no guarantee that the salaries will be paid by the Turkish Cypriot government if Turkey doesn't give money the day after elections. And despite the fact that Turkey had been fully engaged, fully engaged, use all kinds of rhetorics and economic powers um, in the elections, half of the Turkish Cypriots they still voted for a federal solution candidate for Mr. Akinci, almost half. And with this 2%, we also have to understand that every election has multiple um, party politics uh, issues and, and, and issues. So I don't accept the fact that the Turkish Cypriots, uh, by choosing Mr. Tatar, are ready to embrace Mr. Erdogan's policies. But make no mistake, Mr. Erdogan was not like this in 2000 two or three and four, when he thought that he could benefit from being friends with the EU. I remember how he was uh, praised in the European Parliament at the time when he was being elected. He was presented as a, as a you know, like a, like a Muslim Democrat, like breaking the, the Turkish deep states and Turkish authoritarian states links. And so what I'm trying to say is that um, the fact that the solution of the Cyprus problem was not delivered. And the fact that the Turkish Cypriots became even more vulnerable, this change took place. And then people um, had, especially in the under the pandemic conditions, had, had no other options, especially in a small community. Everybody knows in which village voted in which way and things were, you know, can, can be uh, very, very sensitive for those families. Now, the question, what's going to happen now? I mean, now that um, Turkey has been fully engaged in North Cyprus, trying to gather nationalistic votes, Mr. Erdogan and AK Parti I'm talking about here, trying to gather nationalistic votes by trying to do some actions in Varosha, by building a base in North Cyprus, by you saying that they're doing everything to control there now is even uh, you know bypassing the Turkish Cypriot leaders and then constantly involved in North Cyprus showing that Cyprus will now be used as as a last resort for them to gather a few more more votes in the upcoming presidential elections in Turkey and um, and clearly um, Cyprus is being used as a chip as a token in the bigger game and um, whatever the result will be, whether federation will be possible or not, it's another discussion. Uh, Turkey is trying to increase its influence, its economic uh, well-being, its economic establishment in the northern part of the island. 
and every passing year, the, the chances of this becoming a reality is, is higher. And the whether uh, federation is possible or not, it's another um, um, discussion at this, with the current setting. But there is one thing for sure, two-state solution, where two states are internationally recognized and accepted is not an option, it's not a reality, it's, it's a pipe dream, as simple as that. Anybody understanding ABC of the politics, ABC of the international setting, ABC of Cyprus problem will tell you this. So what's going to happen? Well, depending on the divide and uh, Turkey trying to use even more influence um, in the region through Cyprus. And just uh, here, I think it is important because we don't want to only be the bearers of uh, bad news. <laughs> I believe that um, there, is, there is a way out of this, or rather there are things to do uh, in order to work against uh, allowing Turkey to swallow the, the northern part of our island, uh, as Kemal has described the situation. Uh, uh, Kemal has very um, rightly mentioned the lack of options for the Turkish Cypriot community. And I believe, that, I believe that it is very important for all people listening and for all policymakers to understand that uh, when the Turkish Cypriots vote, for instance, for someone like Tatar, they don't do it because they necessarily support a two-state solution, but they do it because in lack of a solution to the Cyprus problem, they see the support of Turkey as their only way out. And this is where the importance of the European Union comes. And this is where both Kemal and I, we've been very critical of uh, the European Union. So if we objectively look at the situation, you've got the Republic of Cyprus that joined the European Union as a whole. So the whole of the island is part of the European Union but the Republic of Cyprus does not exercise effective control um, in the 37% of the island. Uh, at the same time, though, the Turkish Cypriot community and the Turkish Cypriots are considered a member of uh, the European Union and European Union citizens. And this is where the responsibility of the European Union comes uh, towards uh, the Turkish Cypriot uh, people. Uh, the Turkish Cypriots are, and a lot of them feel, uh, part of the European Union. We see uh, that uh, big percentage that voted for Mustafa Akinci in the elections, uh, despite uh, all the interventions by Turkey. Most of them are young people, people that have grown in a progressive, have, uh, they have grown up in a progressive environment they, and they look to the European Union as their future. But the European Union needs to come close to them. The European Union needs to prove that it, it is an option for the Turkish Cypriot, that it, is, uh, that it can become part of their vision. Because as things stand, the Turkish Cypriots feel that it is the Republic of Cyprus that is a member of the European Union and that they have no relationship to this entity. And the, and we believe that there are a lot of things to be done by the Republic of Cyprus as well in order for it to acknowledge that the Turkish Cypriots are, are also a member of the European Union and to let go of their fear of recognition by implication that is constantly uh, becoming an obstacle in more engagement with the Turkish Cypriot community. And we need the European Union in itself to be more assertive 
when it comes to this, in order to engage more with the Turkish Cypriot community, seek more presence in the Turkish Cypriot community, and try to influence matters, uh, be it environmental issues, be it regarding uh, the various freedoms that are uh, key pillars of the European Union. Um, and, and, and they need to do it bearing in mind and in full consciousness of the fact that the Turkish Cypriots need to be offered an alternative vision that does not only uh, rely upon Turkey. We wouldn't. We we would we wouldn't be um, activists otherwise, right? I mean, I mean, yes, there is a grim picture, but there is also some um, some hopeful developments, just like Andromay mentioned, like the youngsters embracing uh, each other, and um, I think we also need to hear different things from each other. I mean, the Turkish Cypriots would love to would need to hear from the Greek Cypriot political elite this: look. Yes, we have also committed mistakes before 74. As simple as that. Yes, there were Turkish Cypriots who were killed before 74, innocent uh, villagers, people who were not necessarily part of an organization. Yes, we were carried away with our dream to unite the country with, uh, with Greece. So we've, we've done this, but now we're in a different mindset. I mean, the, the, this is not going to make you little. It's, it makes you, you bigger. And in the same time, I think the Greek Cypriots not to, need to hear this from the Turkish Cypriots. Look, we understand you lost your houses, you lost your loved ones, your relatives in 74. I mean, you, you know, it was a trauma for you. You lost uh, one third of, you, of, of, of the country, you, you, you deem it's yours. And then, you know, these are the things that we are working on. And I think these are the things which are happening um, at the grassroots level. Hopefully, we will be able to see some of those in the, um, in, the right. in the in the upcoming um, maybe you know years in 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 higher segments of the of the communities. I mean, it was really refreshing when Mr. Rakin just said at the time that we have to acknowledge that Greek Cypriots also suffered. You know, it's very difficult for a Turkish Cypriot leader to say it. He was um, crucified in 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 the Turkish media at that time. We have a we have the Turkish yeah we have the Turkish Cypriot MP Edol Steria who said that the Greek Cypriot women were killed and raped and they suffered as well and then they almost like you know the, there was a lynch movement against her just because she was deemed of attacking the, the Turkish army at the time. It feeds into this narrative that whoever says that is uh, is a traitor to their own to their own community to their respective community. People from both communities have been the victims of uh, in our history, and I believe that uh, our biggest mistake, uh, and and this is something that I do not, uh, that, that I'm, I'm 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 having difficulty to accept when it comes to politicians on both sides, is that uh, whilst the Cyprus problem is being used. As, as I said before, as a poison uh, when it comes to the relations uh, between the people. And whilst the Cyprus problem is constantly in the forefront of political discussion, we've never looked <laughs> at the issue profoundly. We've never tried to look beyond the surface. We've never tried to criticize ourselves as well in this situation. We've never tried to look at the history from a different lens. And we've never tried to put the focus on, on our mistakes. And, uh, and, you know, especially in the Greek Cypriot community, this is often ridiculed. Whoever tries to speak about the, the mistakes that the Greek Cypriots also did when it comes to this, 
to our common history. Uh, they are ridiculed, they are um, labeled as traitors or anything, but... We, 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 we love to be the victims, right? Each of course, of course. But it is high time that we, we, we stopped trying to put our pain on a scale, you know, trying to find who, who, who incurred more pain. And it is high time we acknowledge that at different times of our history, our communities were the perpetrators but uh, and uh, and and the victims as well, and as long as we acknowledge this, the only then will we be able to start looking more empathetically to the other community. Only then will will we be able to be more willing to hear what the other community has to say, to hear their trauma as well. It doesn't mean that we need to embrace it. It doesn't mean that we need to, or that we do it in order to say, okay, you were more of a victim than I were. But it is just a matter of trying to acknowledge the collective uh, understanding of, of the other community and how, uh, and, and only in this way will we be able to start working for a common future. And this is something that we've failed, and the, we have failed to create the vision for our common future. We have failed to work uh, on healing ourselves from the trauma of our past. On the contrary, we have allowed our grandparents, our parents, my, my father is a refugee, my grandparents uh, were also refugees, but I was fortunate enough not to be raised in an environment in which there was always, you know, the other side to blame. On the contrary, I was raised in an environment in which there was an understanding of our own mistakes as well. But it is, it is disheartening to see how many young people are being brought up and raised with a one-sided understanding. And... Uh, Honestly, I believe that the only way out of this situation is for all of us to start questioning the mainstream rhetoric in both communities, to start doubting. That's always the, that's the only way for one to be alive, to be doubting, to be criticizing. And that's the only way for us to hope for a united island and uh, to hope of building a common future. Not only in Cyprus, but everywhere in the world, the duty, the obligation of an intellectual of a thinking person, of media, of journalists, is to criticize their own community first. Criticizing the other side will not make you um, right, will not make you an intellectual, will not justify you, even if you are 100% right. It makes you a nationalist, it makes you a you know, finger-pointing person. It's your duty to criticize your own community first, regardless of the fact that maybe the, the mistake is not that much, that big. It, it, it's important. It's your duty. It's, it is the civilization that we, we, we need to, to, to take into uh, consideration um, that you know, an intellectual person is somebody, a journalist is somebody, media is an institution that criticizes its own community first. Not many people... Yeah, go, go on, Andromay. I mean, not many people um, know, for example, even uh, my closest friends, like Andromahi, was shocked when she found out that uh, my father's grandmother was uh, found in a mass grave in, um, in 1974, and she was eight years old, eight zero, right? So, I mean, 
But using these narratives, using those examples and trying to build hatred on this will not take us to anywhere. I mean, it will be unfair to their spirits, to their, to their memories. These people are the victims of the nationalism that we were born into. And it is our duty to not to leave a similar environment to the next generation. That's why I know it sounds a little bit poetic and emotional and all that, but it is a reality. Had people started before us questioning their own communities, we would be at a, a better place. You guys are both bringing up this point very articulately that indulging in your own victimhood, first of all, um, does not accept, does not allow us to accept our responsibility, our respective responsibilities as uh, parts of these two different communities, first of all. Um, and then second of all, it also doesn't allow us to al almost like help or um, sorry, work on our our trauma, right, of the past. Exactly, and it just keeps us uh, hostages because we can never create something new. We, we remain hostages of this trauma and we cannot uh, escape from it. We cannot find ways out of it. And no community, no society can progress unless it deconstructs itself, itself unless it questions itself. And the most frustrating as, uh, aspect of political and civic discourse on the island is the fact that the moment one tries to articulate something that goes beyond the mainstream narrative, one is so easily labeled as a traitor, as a person who gets paid, as a person who is serving ulterior motives and interests. And, and this is the reason why not so many voices are willing to go out there and engage in such a discussion because they are uh, you know, immediately put down through these adjectives. And uh, for us, this was always clear from the beginning. We knew the risks in this, but Honestly, it comes a point when you realize that some things need to be said and some things need to be said without a communal lens. Uh, and, and we need to uh, face our past. And I cannot stress enough the importance of questioning, of doubting, of criticizing. And this is what we've been trying to do both as, uh, through the United Sceptres Now movement, but also through Nicosia and Kata, the podcast. And... Um, as Kemal often says, it is interesting because uh, not many people are, are able to uh, think aside from their communal lens. But I can honestly say that I, 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 I can have Kemal speaking on my behalf at any instance when it comes to the Cyprus problem. And I will not, I will not even read what he says if I tell him, okay, can you please take this up for me and respond on my behalf? I, I, will, not, I will not even be concerned that uh, he, he might say something that will not uh, represent me. And this is because... It, it, it's, it's a big thing, Andromache, he's saying that I don't even need to read it, you know, knowing her. <laughs> <laughs> I am recording this. I don't, I'm not sure if you're going if you're, if you're to regret this later well, on. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's 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 very flattering, and you know, uh, you know, she knows very well that it's 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 same is is true. You know, I mean, yes, we have our own each our personal voice and our personal, maybe small um, ways of explaining things. But you know, after working so many years now, well, time flies. 
on on the same issues how we manage to develop um, a, a same language and it's even same way of thinking and i don't i don't think that it's unhealthy because i i don't think that people always should think exactly the same way but if you have the same understanding if you have the same um, let's say um, lens how you look at things and that lens is something to do with being um, sincere and honest to yourself and to your own uh, beliefs, then then you, you, you're likely to be synced. It's principles, I think, because our guide is our principles and not our community. And this is often what people, uh, you know, are, are having difficulty with uh, facing because, uh, you, and this is yet another example of how our civic discourse is limited in the sense that it, it seems as though we need to excuse our own side when we speak. And it seems as though, I remember when the Al Jazeera revelations came out about the Cyprus papers, all of us who were raising this issue, we were literally being hinted as a traitors by the government itself. The government itself was saying it came out with a public statement uh, questioning the motives of a Qadari media. Uh, they, they, they came out, uh, you know, making these links between Qatar and Turkey and saying that uh, Al Jazeera is, is, is being motivated by the Turkish agent, etc. So, and, and this is yet another example of how this IPSIS problem is being used as an excuse for the perpetuation of, of, of corruption. Because at any point when you are trying to become critical of your own government, the, the, the excuse is that you are serving the interests of Turkey. For instance, when, when we criticize the Republic of Cyprus president because of his questionable, as we said before, commitment to uh, a federal solution, they will tell you, but we are now serving Chavosoglu's argument. And it is, it is this, it, it is a, a rhetoric that can get you nowhere because it will be, it, it obliterates every narrative especially when you try to question your own community. To rewind a little bit back to politics, I think that was a good point to do that. Um, we just had the Geneva 5 plus 1 talks that happened at the end of last month. For those of you who don't know, the Geneva 5 plus 1 talks were an informal attempt pursued by the United Nations to try to find a what they call the common ground on which to restart the uh, negotiations or the discussion on a solution to the Cypriot issue. Uh, now, by the end of it, these talks uh, lasted for three days. Uh, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres told the press that there were there they found no common ground to allow the resumption of the formal negotiations. He said he was he was he remained hopeful and positive that this will change in the near future. But um, does this show again that we are moving towards a, a, a different discourse, a different uh, direction with the Cypriot? With the Cypriot uh, problem, and also, do we believe that the that these international that the international community are they doing enough to not only pursue a, a solution, but actually to pressure our respective governments to move towards it? I think Cypriots have always found it comfortable to blame others, internationals, imperialists, the third parties. That you know we were all doing fine and we were just good people, and just because others interfered, we just found each other's um at each other's throat so um you know this is the general um reaction generally in cyprus on both sides i should i, I should say 
So I think it's important for us to take the responsibility as Cypriots first, that the failure belongs to Cypriots, um, period. Having said that, however, 50 years of um, the, the situation, 50 years of problem created its own dynamics and created its own um, statistical uh, barriers and pillars. And I'm sorry to say that I, I think with the, the latest intervention by uh, the latest initiative by the United Nations um, served the further deepening of the divide, unfortunately, because if you try to bring sides together at a high level international conference, knowing that the differences are not bridgeable, it means that you know beforehand that the chances of the collapse is very high. Maybe you bet on this 5% chance that you succeed. But it means that you are gambling with our future with the 95% of the chance that it's going to collapse. And then each collapse comes with a cost. And this is the cost that we play on the ground, we pay on the ground as, as peacemakers. The chance, the belief in, in a solution um, lessens, the blame game deepens the hopes um, further uh, get damaged. So um, we really don't understand what the United Nations was trying to do with this last five party con five plus one conference in Geneva. It, would, it, it made sense when it first came out few, few years ago because clearly there was a collapse in Crown Montana. So we needed to sit down again and to start, you know, where are we now question. But what happened with the with Akinji losing the elections and with Turkey um, making its narrative more uh, sharp and uh, more more hawkish, I, I must say, and knowing that you know they are not going to give in um, to their two-state solution, they've been repeating it very adamantly. And then you have this envoy visiting capitals and you know behind the bar behind behind the scenes still uh, working for a conference, you would think that maybe there is something that we don't see. And, and then this five plus one conference, this informal conference, bringing two sides of Cyprus together to communities and three guaranteed powers, not yielding any, any result. And you come out and say that, well, we'll try one more time. Then, you know, then you kind of get offended. Like, what's your target? Why are you going to try one more time? Of course, we don't want to lose hope. Of course, we don't want to see that, you know, everybody's saying that, no, this is not sold, you know, we are giving up. We don't want that, of course. But if you're making this at this higher level, this initiative, you need to come up and tell to the people what the intentions are. And this is also the other problem of, 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 this, of this process. We don't have transparency. We don't have the civil society. We don't have women. We don't have... Um, the, the, the full involvement of, of different aspects of the communities, uh, levels in the, of the communities involved in the process. And then there are two leaders or five leaders, I don't know how many male leaders uh, in their gray suits coming out and then talking about, you know, um, comparing their, their powers and then talking about the solution of the Cyprus problem. Then you, you are entitled to ask the United Nations, what about your principles bringing in the communities, the, the, the media and the women and the civil society into the process? Why are you bring, keep bringing sides together and then further depending the divide if there is no chance? Just go back to the Security Council and say that one of the sides 
say that the two-state solution is the only way forward, and then you have this position that it's not possible, go and say this. If there is such a possibility, then say it as well. Say that now I've changed my mind, let's try two-state solution, which I, I think it, everybody sees that it's not going to be possible. But put some transparency, put some, um, put some confidence into it. And don't make people say that, you know, there is no chance that we can solve the Cyprus problem because everybody's already convinced. Would you say that um, not only do local Cypriot politicians from both communities um, benefit from the perpetuation of the division, but would you say that players on the international stage also can benefit from it to a certain extent? You see, it is not a matter, when it comes to the international community, it is not a matter of benefiting from the situation, but it is a matter of being more comfortable with not shaking the waters uh, that much. So um, I honestly believe that the international community, of course, the international community is a very broad term. I mean, we are talking about specific agents, we're talking about the United Nations, the European Union, uh, the US also, which I think it is still not clear on its position on the Cyprus problem at the moment, even though they have explicitly said that the Bizonal Bicommunal Federation is what they are supporting, but we have not seen them becoming uh, intensely engaged uh, since uh, the Biden administration took over. But the rest of the players that I mentioned, I believe it's not that they are benefiting from the situation. Uh, it is that uh, they are uh, comfortable with the situation. They don't want to. Uh, they don't want to do something that will bring about more tension. But at the same time, they are not interested, or they don't know how to uh, uh, change the course of the situation. And the and the thing about, especially the United Nations, sometimes that we are discussing is that. You've got the Security Council resolutions that have explicitly stated what Kemal uh, referred to before about the need for the youth, for women, for civil society to be more engaged in the process. And then for the past four years, especially since the collapse of Gran Montana, we've got the UN Secretary General Special Envoy, Jane Pollut, following an approach that absolutely disregards all these uh, levels of the society. J Mrs. Lut has re refused or has shown absolutely no interest to be in touch with the civil society. She has shown no interest to be uh, to get to know the other players uh, within the local sphere uh, in Cyprus, and she has only been working her way uh, through the, um, the leaders. And one wonders how uh, it is the United Nations learning from its mistakes if it fails to implement the Security Council resolutions themselves. At the same time, when it comes to the European Union, it is evident that there is a lack of judgment when it comes to the importance of uh, sorting the Cyprus problem. There is a, a lack of judgment to when it comes to the importance of the European Union prioritizing this issue. And uh, we have noted this multiple times through our podcast, even before uh, Mr. Akinji lost the elections, but we, we were always critical of how the European Union, after the collapse of the Grand Montana Conference, failed to engage with the Turkish Cypriot community. We saw uh, European Union leaders coming to Cyprus. We saw the EU High Representative, Mr. Borrell, coming to Cyprus and I'm talking about before the elections in the Turkish Cypriot community, and all these players 
did not even bother to go to the Turkish Cypriot community, did not even bother to meet with the Turkish Cypriot leader, something that would have elevated the importance of the European Union within the Turkish Cypriot community as well. It seems as though it is not that the EU is benefiting from the perpetuation of the situation, but it is as though they, they do not understand the importance of sorting this out. And we are in a pseudo-stable status quo at the moment, but the European Union needs to remember that what if things escalate? What if Turkey decides that it is to its benefit to annex the northern part of the island, let's say? What will the position of the European Union be then when so many billions of uh, euros are, uh, are at stake when it comes especially to the upgrading of the uh, customs union between the Turkey and the EU? All these are issues that the European Union policymakers need to take into consideration, and we sadly feel that this is not in any way um, uh, uh, evident in the European Union uh, thinking. But could, would you say that there is also perhaps a lack of a will to spend what I would call political capital at the moment because of the developments that are happening with Turkey in regards to its relationship with the, with the European Union at the moment, especially when it comes to the migrant issue? issue. Um, would you say yes. that that also plays a role? Of course it plays a role. And, uh, you see, uh, I believe that uh, uh, you had the Greece-Turkey sort of standoff at sea a few months ago, and it's, it was clear that the European Union prioritized sorting that issue rather than using its capital or its political capital on the Cyprus problem. So they kind of sorted that out, and they uh, don't seem in, uh, willing to... Uh, you know, waste that political capital on, on on putting the Cyprus problem as part of this wider sort of web of um, of, of issues. But uh, for good or bad, as we often say with Kemal, uh, it is clear that now the Cyprus problem is part of a wider uh, web of geopolitical uh, games and geopolitical sort of trade-offs. It is no longer in our hands. And... Uh, uh, we believe that uh, the European Union's uh, lack of willingness to engage with this issue in a more constructive way will be will bring negative results in the future, regardless of whether at the moment things might be relatively normalized. What needs to be done at this stage is that as Cypriots, we need to claim power. It's not easy, but um, we need to you know, um, get engaged with the youngsters. We need to help them see and understand the failing nature of the Cyprus politics and the Cyprus problem. We need to talk to the international community, explain the possibility of this fro so-called frozen conflict to become a, a, a center of, of or a, a real conflict in an area which is dominated by blood and, uh, you know, um, you know and, and conflict. We need to be able to um, sort out our own internal problems because there have been many chances that we fired, that we lost in the past because we as Cypriots could not own it. And um, EU, on the other hand, uh, was party to the um, somehow involved with the uh, Crown Montana process. They were around the table in Crown Montana. 
at the highest level. And this is exactly the problem when you said that at the moment, maybe things are not very ripe to do this involvement by the EU. But the question then, why did they wait? Where were they before? Mm -hmm. Who's coordinating EU? Is, are they the, the members? Are we talking now we have, we have the council, we have the commission. What have been they, do, what, where were they? And uh, it is easy to put the blame on the others, but you need to understand that if as an EU, you want to be a global uh, power, you need to act like one. You need to project, you need to plan, you need to implement, you need to act, you need to coordinate within yourself even. And this Cyprus problem is another threat to the stability in the Eastern region, in the Eastern Mediterranean region, which will influence the, the efficiency and the effectiveness of the EU as a whole as well. And um, this is why we've been critical um, about them. We understand that EU is also a, some sort of a club bringing solidarity to the members. And after 2004, Cyprus becoming a member and Greece is already a member, you, you know, they would uh, show some kind of a solidarity with their members. But they also need to show to their members that the so, non-solution of the Cyprus problem cannot be acceptable. And this is where they failed, we believe, I think. I don't know. I mean, at least what I believe. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, it's also as if the European Union almost operates in this way where they are an outside um, outside party when it comes to the Cypriot problem, but not completely adopting it as a problem of, of the European Union itself. It is something that does not belong to Europe in a way. But this is a problem, uh, this is an issue of the Republic of Cyprus as well, mm -hmm. because the Republic of Cyprus used the veto in order to uh, call for sanctions against Turkish officials, uh, Turkish um, uh, citizens who are uh, part of the drilling process in the waters of Cyprus, uh, but they never tried to uh, make the Cyprus problem as an issue uh, that, that the European Union needs to get down and solve uh, along with the, with the Republic of Cyprus. And I think that that is uh, also something that we've been critical of, uh, of, uh, of the Republic of Cyprus before. You saw them uh, bringing the EU high representative to Cyprus and taking, them, taking him to, to see the drilling platform of Turkey and how it operated in the internationally recognized exclusive economic zone of the Republic of Cyprus. But they never tried to engage the European Union more constructively in the, in the negotiation process. The only time when they decided to do that was after the Grand Montana conference and after Tadar was elected in the Turkish Cypriot community, when they openly uh, then decided that the European Union needs to be part of this process. <laughs> yeah. Before yeah. that, it was mostly the European Union sort of trying to get as much influence as it could, but without the Republic of Cyprus allowing uh, this to a great extent. Mm -hmm. So we have essentially, uh, if you break it down, we have the, the division of Cyprus and that perpetuates corruption. And then corruption perpetuates division. Like how do, how do you break that cycle? Where do you even start? 
It's a catch-22. I mean, it's it's a situation that they are both feeding each other. Nationalism sub, uh, feeds into Cyprus problem. Cyprus problem feeds into corruption. Corruption feeds into the Cyprus problem, and then it feeds back into nationalism. It, fe- it feeds back into um, fear. It feeds back, in, back into the regional instability, and the regional instability things that you need to make more allies. In order to make more allies, you need to isolate Turkey. When you try to isolate Turkey, you isolate also tr- somehow Turkey Cypriots. When you isolate Turkey Cypriots, Turkey Cypriots becoming more dependent on Turkey. So it's it's the whole package coming. And then there is not a single way of solving it. Either the only on the way of solving it is is basically try to become one more reconciliatory when it comes to solving the Cyprus problem and when it comes to the other community. And then you should be you know really committed to solve it. Otherwise it's going to be a, a big big mess a constant uh, source of instability, corruption and nationalism and backwardness and then you know um, values that, that will damage our, our, our youngster at the, uh, youngsters at the early age. And I believe that we all have a lot of work to do when it comes to this uh, even as a civil society, as a grassroots movement and that we should stop uh, accepting the um, you know, the mainstream rhetoric about the leaders-led process and everything. We we have a lot of uh, uh, briefing to do on the ground. We have a lot of uh, waking up to do on the ground. We have a lot of conscience building. And with this media we have, Andromahi, it's not always very easy. I mean, if we start talking about it, it will go for another hour, I guess. Yes, so let's not get there. But there is a lot of work to do when it comes to us in our everyday lives, in our daily lives. And... Uh, uh, I think that whoever is listening, I think we need to take up this uh, this duty as citizens. And uh, this is the only way out of this situation. Stop buying their lives. <laughs> Andromachi and Kemal, thank you so much for joining me on Evris. Thank you very much. it from Evries. If you like us, make sure to subscribe or follow or whatever the lingo is for the podcasting world from whichever app you're listening to right now. Give us a shout out on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at EvriesPod. That's E-V-R-I-S-P-O-D. You can also send me an email at EvriesPod at gmail.com. My name is Natalie. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.